This is Class, an official podcast of the Democratic Socialists of America, National Political Education Committee. My name is Elton L. K. This episode is on the state of the labor movement in 2022 and what we expect in 2023. Daphna Tier is back to host the podcast with Ryan Coles. Daphna recently stepped down as the chair of the DSA National Political Education Committee and is now the Labor Education Coordinator at Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, also known as EWOC. Ryan Coles is a co-chair on DSA's National Labor Commission. He helps workers build power in their workplace as a volunteer with the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee and as a member of Inland Empire DSA. Welcome to this episode of DSA's National Political Education Podcast, CLASS. I'm Daphna Tier, and I'm hosting this episode along with Ryan Coles, co-chair of DSA's National Labor Committee. We're actually talking about socialists and the class in this two-part series, or socialists in the labor movement. And with us here today, we have Emma G, who's a rank-and-file Teamster UPS package delivery worker and another member of DSA's National Labor Committee's steering committee, and Don Teft, who came out of rank-and-file organizing, higher education unions, and is now a union staffer and a lead organizer for DSA's Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, which is a joint project with the United Electrical and Radio Machinists Union, UE. So in our first episode, we're going to take a look at the labor movement last year, 2022, and the role socialists played in it. And then in our second episode, we'll talk more about why the labor movement is so important to socialists and the socialist movement. Okay, Ryan, it's been a year. (laughs) What happened this year? If we had to give everyone a snapshot, I mean, one thing I can say is that I recently learned that approval of unions in the United States went from a low, an all-time low in 2009 of 48% to 71% today, which is the highest it's been since 1965, kind of blows your mind. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Thank you, Daphne. That's a good question. Um, I think if you look back at the past year, it's actually kind of mind-blowing when you see everything that has been happening in labor, where you look at a lot of new shop organizing through things like Starbucks Workers United. Like They just won their first election just over a year ago. Since then, several hundred stores have won. We've seen Amazon workers you know, officially vote to form the first union at Amazon, which is incredible, which is huge. We've seen the Minneapolis teachers strike. We've seen teachers in Brookline, Massachusetts strike. We've seen the Massachusetts nurses strike. So really, you know, across the board and more recently, uh, University of California, they just won huge contract gains. Yeah. So it's been a hell of a year when you look back at it and it's hard to believe that it's only been a year. And I think what we're really seeing is that, you know, it's hard to pinpoint a single cause, but I think people are realizing that no one's coming to save us. So we got to do it ourselves. And so people are coming together and figuring out how to build power in their workplace, whether it's union through reform caucuses and that sort of, you know, organizing, whether it's new shop organizing, but across the board, people are hungry and they're ready to fight. So I think that's what we're seeing. 
you mentioned reform caucuses. And I think for me, that's a huge marker because it's just clear that the old union leaderships are disappointing people, have failed in their strategy, are getting booted because of that. First, it was the Teamsters and then Unite All Workers for Democracy in the UAW following in those footsteps. Huge reform wins. First, they campaigned and they won at the convention a one-member, one-vote. And then they campaigned on an anti-two-tier platform, and they won outright five out of seven seats. And now they're heading off to a runoff election for the other two, including the presidency, which is looking pretty good, as I understand it. So that's kind of amazing, you know, this reform caucus with Sean Fain running for the presidency against the Ray Curry caucus, like the Curry caucus, which that's such a catchy name for a caucus. (laughs) But um, it kind of tells you where things are at there. Yeah. And then you mentioned the strikes. We have a couple of guests here with us today, as I mentioned. Maybe we could find out what they're thinking about this year. So we have Emma, who is on the National Labor Committee steering committee with me. And Emma, do you want to give a brief introduction and yeah, share some takeaways and reflections on 2022? Sure. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, like Ryan said, I am a DSA Labor Steering Committee member along with him, as well as a rank and file teamster, package car driver at UPS. I think uh, reflecting on what Daphna and Ryan have said already, we have seen workers rising up. They are ready to fight for their jobs, a better future. I think having seen what's happened in the last couple of years, a lot of it is a outgrowth of COVID, unfortunately, but it was very clarifying for a lot of people and organizing that began a couple of years ago under some of the worst conditions we've experienced in our lifetimes with COVID and a devastating pandemic. We're seeing things happen now, as well as fights that have been going on for a lot longer. Um, We've talked about reform caucuses and UAWD and TDU, and these are fights that have been going on for decades to reform these unions and to put in new leadership that is going to fight for the workers and be led by workers. So it's been really exciting to see all of these things happening kind of at the same time. Daphne touched on the two-tier fight, which I've personally experienced as a Teamster. We are fighting against two-tier contracts. The last contract, there was a... um, basically like two tiers put in place. Um, It really felt like workers were sold out. And it's been really exciting to see, even just anecdotally, like our leadership won on a platform to get rid of that. And also talking to coworkers, they are ready to fight for each other. Those people who are in the top tier, so to speak, who have more protections, more benefits, they see exactly what this is and why it's bad and why it's unfair that our coworkers doing the same jobs are getting paid less and have less protections and they are ready to strike, ready to do whatever it takes to win what's right and have everyone have the same protections. So unions are popular uh, <laughs> and there is a sense of solidarity even among these older, like the Teamsters, like longer standing unions. There's like energy to fight for something that in a way that we haven't seen in a really long time. This is us talking about 2022 so far. Emma, what are you thinking looking to 2023? What should we be expecting? What's on the horizon, I guess, for labor this year? 
A lot. Um, it's going to be an exciting year in contract expirations, which means workers organized in different industries. A lot of private industry contracts, like I was talking about my own contract. Um, the UPS Teamster contract is the largest private sector contract covering 340,000 package car drivers and warehouse workers. So that's going to be a big fight happening in July. And then also back to UAW, they have their big three auto industry contracts coming up. We have other UAW contracts such as Caterpillar. We have UE contracts, um, United Electrical Workers in manufacturing, GE, the airline contracts. If people have heard recently, there was like a really exciting announcement. The five unions at United Airlines, including the flight attendants, machinists, the airline pilots associations, the Teamsters, um, and flight dispatchers, they have formed a coalition to really amp up and strengthen airline negotiations. There's education contracts, there's first contract fights such as Starbucks, Trader Joe's, REI, Amazon, all these things we've been hearing about. There's potential for this all to be happening um, in the next year. So I'm coming as a union member, but also as a DSA labor leader. And there is a lot of potential for DSA and the left in general to really be supportive in these fights. Our ties are stronger in certain sectors than others, but we've done a lot of good work over the last couple of years through different means, whether it's EWOP, whether it's DSA labor, whether it's our individual connections as workers to really strengthen that. And there's a lot of potential for us as leftists and workers to support these fights as they're coming up next year. And we're going to talk more about that, hopefully here shortly. I do want to ask Don. Don, you've been doing the EWOC thing, the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee. So what are you expecting from the coming year from the perspective of someone who's so engaged in new organizing? Also, if you could tell us a little bit about what that organizing looks like on the ground and kind of what the role socialists have played in it, that would be awesome and exciting, I think. Sure. I expect that workers will continue to form new unions, which is hard but rewarding work counter to the narrative, you know, the corporate media spins that workers are lazy and don't want to work anymore. And the reality is that workers are fed up with how they've been treated by employers, not with working itself. And they're fed up with being underpaid and underappreciated, including being sacrificed in the name of profit, as we saw happening during the pandemic, which is why EWOC formed in the first place. And that's where we really got that first swell of workers. But we're continuing to see huge numbers of workers. And now they're not just focused on those immediate needs due to the pandemic, but their long-term needs. So unionizing and making sure that there's something in place for that over the long term. And I expect that those workers you know, who are forming new unions, as well as the ones who are in existing unions will continue to take action on the job. And that includes striking because that's the only thing to which the employer responds in most situations. And employers, you know, they're engaged in trying to bust these new union drives and they're advised by lawyers specializing in union busting to like pull these, these tricks. One of which is to claim that the employer, the managers and the workers are all family and that the union is a third party outside of them. But the reality is, is that's simply not true. The workers are the union. So it isn't something outside of them. And they wouldn't need to take action to compel the employers to pay a living wage and treat them with respect if there really was a family dynamic at work. You know, but the family narrative is a lie and the workers have to stand together and speak and act with one voice and disrupt the status quo, you know, at work. 
if they're to get any kind of significant and lasting change, change that the employer can't just go back on because unions negotiate legally binding contracts. And nothing that motivates an employer like their flows of money coming to a halt when workers strike. And so I think we're going to continue to see a lot of that. It's striking has been up significantly this year from last year. So I think we're going to see that continue to just escalate. And this organizing looks like forming unions and taking action to win contracts. It looks like working with other workers, other types of workers, other unions, and community groups, because everyone has common goals and workers live and work in communities with which they have mutual relationships. It looks like bargaining for wages, healthcare, and working conditions. And it also looks like bargaining for the common good, which means bargaining for things that affect the community and serve larger issues of social justice. And I'll just say that, you know, at EWOC, Sometimes we get people in nonprofits, there aren't large budgets there even oftentimes to be bargaining over. And so if they're not focused on wages so much, they're focused on working conditions and the common good, what is good for the clients that they serve, what is good for the community that they're in. So these are going to be things that we continue to see too. And, you know, socialists are involved in, a, in organizing in a variety of ways. They're organizing as rank and file organizers in their workplace where you have the most influence because it's your job. They organize sometimes assaults, you know, which means taking a job in order to act as a resource and assist workers who want to organize there. Although in that case, they're probably not there long-term. So it's important that they try not to lead everything, but be a resource who's aiding those longtime leaders there who do want to organize. And then at EWOC, they're volunteering to assist workers with organizing which you know means pairing a volunteer organizer with a worker or group of workers who want to unionize in their workplace or organize in any kind of way in their workplace. And it means talking with those workers and helping them understand the sort of science and art of organizing. And over the decades, organizers have tried various approaches and realized that some work better than others, which is where the science part comes in. And that's why our folks are such a great resource. It's helping people understand these methods that have been developed, especially to what I was saying earlier about like these union busting methods, right? People have realized that certain things work better to help people build up list building and then one-on-one conversations, forming these committees that, that reach out and talk to everybody, get the whole potential bargaining unit on board. Then you go to the vote, but you've got to prepare people. You've got to inoculate them against those union busting tactics. And so it's like really helping people pass their fear by being prepared for it, by being prepared for what's coming so it doesn't scare them off. And anyone can learn organizing. It's not hard. And that's what the volunteers do. They help workers learn those basics and implement them in ways that are effective. But the workers are always in control of their own campaigns and make their own decisions. That's the hallmark of good organizing. The great thing about organizing is what's ethical is actually what's effective, too. So um, it's really beautiful that those two things are married in that way. The art part of organizing comes in in relation to the individual and their personality and their personal touch. So I always tell folks like nobody's organized by an organizing robot. People are organized by other people, by relationships, by realizing they have common cause, by feeling connected to others. And then through that connection, they feel enough trust to be able to do these things that place them at, you know, at some kind of risk. I like Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels, her descriptions of organizing in that, like a good organizer, as she describes it, you know, she's describing this character and she says, I wrote this quote down for myself because I love it so much. So it says, she showed herself available to those who were complaining, understanding to those who were angry, sympathetic toward those who cursed the abuses. 
Above all, in the following days, she let their tiny group talk, transforming the lunch break into a time for a secret meeting. She steered the trouble of one toward the trouble of another, joining all together with eloquent words. I love that quote. So a really good organizer understands that it's not about their personal power. It's about creating avenues for other people to help shape an agenda and then implement it. And it's about creating spaces where minds and bodies come together with this united purpose. You know, it's a space where everyone contributes and everyone is important. I wanted to ask one follow-up because Emma mentioned contracts. And then we talked about all this new organizing. And some of this new organizing is now at a point where they have voted in the union. They've got their unions. You look at Starbucks workers, 266 or whatever shops. 7,000 workers I've heard are now unions. So great, but no contract in sight. And I'm just like, what is it going to take? Because it seems like that's not a small hurdle to get to that first contract. It seems like corporate America is really going to fight about that to prevent it from spreading any further. It's a, a good question. And I don't think one that there's an easy answer to, but regardless of whatever you know, whatever Howard Schultz wants to try to pull, right? Like it doesn't change the fact that over 260 stores came together, thousands of workers across the country came together and built that power. And like Starbucks is going to try to shut that down. Just like any corporate bullshit company is going to try to do. I think what really stands out to me is the fact that once you build that power, like that's something that stays with you. And so these people who have come together and have fought the boss and have fought Howard Schultz, right? Like that's not going anywhere. So one question that has come up is that if socialists could play a bigger role in supporting labor militancy and what that might look like. I think if we look at, you know, one example where a lot of DSA members have been focusing, where we do see uh, union reform efforts, that sort of thing is in logistics. And we see the impacts of the logistics industry. We see the impacts that it has and just how widespread it is, right? If we look at something like Amazon, you know, if we want to fight back against Bezos, that's not going to be easy. And that's going to be one hell of a fight, which means we're going to need to have a very strong movement to do that. And if we want to do that, we need to go beyond just a supportive role. We obviously need to follow worker leads, but also we can become worker leads or we can fight in shop floors, whether it's getting a job in a strategic industry, you know, all that sort of thing. Just looking at the UPS contract fight that's coming up over the summer, that's something where we as socialists can play a bit of a role since we have a lot of rank and file members within DSA who are also UPS Teamsters, folks who work at Amazon. You know, that's a way that we do have a lot of potential as socialists to play in supporting labor militancy. And I'm curious too, Emma, being a rank and file UPS worker, what do you see kind of coming up? Like how can socialists play a bigger role in supporting labor militancy as DSA members and as DSA chapters, what can DSA chapters do to support and get involved in, you know, these fights? Yeah, so I agree with, I mean, everything you said, Brian. As far as on an individual level or ideological level, maybe before we answer like the chapter question, I think actually being in the labor movement, doing the organizing is the way to do it. You know, um, if people aren't familiar with the history of labor organizing within, I don't know, the past century, like most of the militant fights, Teamsters included, sorry to keep going back to it, have been led by leftists. It is that ideology that gets us through these really hard fights. And like 
gives us clarity of purpose and that drive to like really fight when it gets hard. So whether you're taking a job within a union to be a rank and file member, to organize coworkers under an existing contract, or whether you are organizing a new shop, that socialist framework, understanding the relationship of power between you and your boss, you and the company, and talking to people about it is huge. That is what creates militancy, really like helping people understand their own position and and fight for it among each other. So I think that also requires a lot of patience and listening. I love Don's quote earlier. I think it's a beautiful way to put exactly what organizing looks like. And I think one of the best ways you can do that is by being a worker and talking to your coworkers about that. Going into a workplace or doing any organizing, like our understanding is, in our opinion, correct, right? We understand these relationships. We don't know everything about how our coworkers think. We don't know the answers to a lot of things. So it's all about listening, not going in thinking, you alone are going to change everything. You alone are have all the answers. So in more recent history, I guess my Teamster examples from like a long time ago, the teacher strikes from a few years ago have mostly been led by socialists. TTU's origins were on the left. And like we love to see that that sort of militancy and the idea of democracy within a union has become so popular that we as part of a coalition are no longer on the fringes of the union, but really have been able to take some leadership positions within it. And those ideas are so popular that people have voted it into leadership of the Teamsters, which is huge. Like it cannot overstate. TDU was a very bad word for a long time within the union. So it's really exciting to see that that's not the case anymore. So as far as DSA and what we can do as DSA members, again, I'm going to say it. If you can get a job or if you're thinking about it, Talk to other people in that union if you know any. Do some research. See if it's something that you can do. Get a job or organize where you're at. As long as you're working, like there is organizing to be done. That's an option. And then we need solidarity work to support all of these fights that are coming up. So some concrete things that we have been advising chapters do is figure out what the membership is in your chapter. Figure out who's in unions, what unions they're in. Do you have any relationships with members who are in a union with a contract campaign coming up? Do phone banking, reach out to these people, build relationships. There are things like showing up on a picket line. It can be a little delicate. And like I would definitely encourage people to get as much information as they can about the context that they're stepping into. But a lot of unions aren't used to like community support. They see themselves as very like about the workers, for the workers, and are really just not used to other people caring that much. So I would say like be a little bit delicate, but also like reach out to local leadership. If you know any members who maybe are not TSA members, but have friendly relationships, try to build those relationships however you can. Again, don't do anything without talking to workers is the number one thing we want to encourage people to keep in mind. If you're able to build connections with local leadership, anything you could do to say like, look, we support this fight that you're in because we recognize it as part of a larger fight for the betterment of the whole working class. I thought Emma covered it perfectly. I don't really have much to add. Being willing to take action and being democratic. Those are the two principles again and again and again that socialists bring with them and that are necessary and critical to winning. 
If you don't have those, then you can't win long term. I mean, maybe you can win one fight, but you're not going to keep fighting over and over and win in the ways that you really, really need to be able to do. And, and that's what Ewok does. You know, it really helps people do democratic organizing where they're in control and then it helps them take action as necessary to win whatever it is that they're focused on winning. Um, and so that's how that's how I would say socialists contribute to the labor movement. What I would add, I'd like to underscore something that Emma said that I completely agree with, which is organize where you're at, because I think in order to help people organize, you have to go through it yourself. Maybe you don't have to, but it helps, right? It's like to really be able to understand how it works, you know, it helps to have gone through it yourself. So I'd say organize where you're at, then come to Ewok and volunteer. <laughs> that would be like my ideal world. That was amazing. I think we covered a lot and yet not everything. We talked about some of the big moments for labor this year. We didn't talk about the rail workers, which we will hopefully get to talk about next episode. In this episode, we mostly looked at where things were at and what are the kinds of things that socialists can do for the labor movement. But I think in the next episode, what we want to look at is how that work makes for a more powerful socialist movement too. Like, how do we move beyond the bread and butter? or How do the bread and butter fights impact the more political ambitions of our movement? So stay tuned. Join us for the next episode. Really, really appreciate you all. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Dawn. Looking forward to talking to you more about it. This is Class, an official podcast of the Democratic Socialists of America, National Political Education Committee. My name is Elton L.K. I'd like to thank Daphne Tier for pulling this episode together. Casey Sticker is a key member of our tiny team for sound engineering, theme music, and editing. And Palmer Conrad for additional help getting this podcast out. If you're a member of DSA, please share this podcast with your local chapter. Class is intended to be a resource for chapters and members to articulate, apply, and share socialist theory with DSA and the wider working class. Also remember to rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. As you know from listening to other podcasts, this is an important way to get out the word about class. <laughs>